turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We are making progress. Mark chapter 3. Those of you that are visiting, we're studying through the gospel of Mark. Jesus Christ is presented as a servant uh, in Mark. And... uh, We've been looking at chapters 1 and 2, and now we're ready for chapter 3. Got a little ways to go yet. Our message is entitled, Check Your Heart. Now, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus was surrounded by disagreement. Controversy swirled around everything that the Lord Jesus did while he was here on earth. Seems that everything he did kind of made someone upset, in particular, the religious Jews, it actually made them angry. Every word, every work was placed under the microscope of their judgmental attitudes. Their hatred for Jesus eventually resulted in his death on the cross. Of course, that was in God's plan, but that still doesn't excuse those religious leaders. They should have known better. They should have known what the Bible said. And just a reminder, why they got upset, why they got mad, was because Jesus forgave a man's sins. Back in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, uh, he ate a meal with sinners. That was in chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, He refused to honor their rituals in chapter 2, verse 18. And he allowed his disciples to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath. That was chapter 2, verse 24. In other words, Jesus refused to play ball by their rules, and they despised him for it. And this passage, once again, finds Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, This visit to the synagogue probably occurred on the same day that Jesus and his men passed through the wheat fields and had their confrontation there in chapter 2. And the passage is kind of a continuation of the same controversy we looked at last Sunday morning. The Pharisees have followed the Lord Jesus into the synagogue, and they're looking for something to trap him with, something to discredit him, something to destroy his ministry. In fact, as we will see here, they will stop at nothing to see that that happens. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning, actually chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and look at three different types of hearts that are on on display. And I want us to even examine our own hearts this morning as we look at the hearts that are revealed here in this text. I want us to check our hearts. And maybe the Lord would allow you to see your own heart today. If he does, and there are some needs there, some problems there, you can come to him and get it fixed, uh, whatever may be wrong in your life. So let's look at this uh, passage this morning. First of all, the hard heart. The hard heart of the Pharisees. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, And he entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand, and they watched him. See, they were watching him. They were trying to trap him. They were saying, hey, let's see if we can see something here. They watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, and they might accuse him. 
And he said unto the man which was had the hit, withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when they had looked around about on them with anger and being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the others. The other and the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now you notice here, first of all, their plan. In these first two verses, we're told there was a man with a withered hand. The word withered means it was paralyzed. Uh, Ancient Christian tradition tells us this man probably could well have been a stonemason who injured his hand on the job, maybe through an accident. OSHA wasn't around at that time. But as the story goes, he heard... Jesus was in town, and he came to look for some healing. He thought, here's a man who's done many miracles already. Maybe he can heal my hand. Now, others would speculate that this fellow was a, a plant. Uh, not a green plant, but a, you know someone that was planted there. Someone was put there to trap the Lord Jesus. And that's certainly in line with the way this text flows. The most likely scenario is that they found this man. They said, you know, um, we hear you have an injured hand. Boy, that sure looks painful. Well, you know, if you'll come uh, with us to the synagogue, there's this fellow, Jesus, who will be there today, and he can heal you, you know. If you go with us, there's a good chance that he'll heal your hand. Wouldn't you like that, that? Come on, let's go. Maybe they encouraged him to come. Whether he was planted there or he, they just spotted him there in the crowd, either way, they were watching, it tells us. They were watching to see what Jesus would do. And they were really kind of hurting from the encounter that they had with the Lord in the wheat field. And they wanted some more evidence that he was a lawbreaker. And they were looking for any excuse to put an end to his ministry. So that was their plan. Secondly, notice their problem. Verse 5, Jesus knows what they're doing. You can't get anything past the Lord Jesus. And so he calls for the injured man to stand forth, and Jesus asks him a very simple question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Well, they have no answer for that because any answer might have give, they might have given would have contradicted their own teachings. And so the problem with these men and the problem with people like them, even today, is that they could have cared less for the needs of that poor man. They didn't care about this man. All they cared about was their rules and their ways. And Jesus knows their problem. Mark tells us they suffered from the hardness of heart. Uh, These men had been confronted with truth many times. They continued to reject that truth. And as a result, their hearts had become hard. Now the word hardness there is a word, a Greek word, porosis. It's the name of a type of marble used in ancient world. Uh, uh, Jesus knew their hearts were as hard and as unyielding as a piece of marble. The word eventually came to be used 
of something covered with a callus. And the continuing, continual rubbing of the skin will produce callousness. Uh, in the same way, continued rejection of the truth will cause the heart to be spiritually calloused. And the calloused heart will get to the place where they won't, a person won't even hear the voice of the Lord. That is, they can be hearing uh, uh, with their ears the reading or the teaching of God's word, but really it never penetrates the heart. Their heart is calloused and they don't respond to the call of the Lord upon their lives. So we find their plan and their problem, but notice their plot. Verse 6, when Jesus healed this man, they were outraged. They considered the healing to be work. Remember last Sunday I gave you quite a list of things they thought was work on the Sabbath. Some ridiculous things. And so here again is another thing. They just think, well, Jesus is is, uh, working on the Sabbath. In reality, all the man, man did was stretch out his hand. There was no work involved, and there was no violation of Mosaic law. But truth doesn't matter to people like the Pharisees. All that matters to them was their narrow interpretation of things. And so they left that meeting and immediately sought out the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were a secular Jews who supported the government of Herod the king. And they also believed, like the Sadducees, that they, the Jews had a duty to submit to Roman rule. These people were secularists uh, who had little concern about the religious matters. They liked the changes that the Romans had brought about in Israel. But like the Pharisees, they didn't like Jesus because they saw him as a threat to their peace and stability uh, as a nation. Now, the Pharisees and the Herodians were bitter enemies. They were on the opposite sides of every issue. But they found common ground in the hatred of the Lord Jesus. So they formed a plot to find a way to destroy him. The word destroy means to utterly do away with a person or a thing. And they wanted Jesus dead, and they set out a a trap to accomplish that end. It's a bit of irony in this story, as well as a lot of hypocrisy. These men were upset because Jesus dared to heal a man on the Sabbath, but they had no problem plotting a murder. That took some work. The evidence is their hardness of heart. The callous around their hearts had caused them to become callous toward God and toward men. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, before we leave this matter of a hard heart, maybe some serious thoughts need to be considered here. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never been saved. Uh, There's a danger that your heart might have been hardened against the gospel. Every time you say no to God, your heart becomes just a little more calloused. And after a while, the gospel message will cease to speak to your heart. And if God is calling you to come to Jesus, you need to come while you can. And you can still hear his voice. Come while your heart is tender. 
You know, we teach our children to say no to drugs, to alcohol, to premarital sex. There are other sinful activities. We teach our young people, no, you need to have anything to do with that. And that's good practice. And the more you say no to something, the easier it is to keep on saying no to something. But you know, when you begin to say no to God, we're headed for trouble. Saying no to evil things breeds resistance to evil. Saying no to spiritual things breeds resistance to spiritual things. And it becomes easier and easier to ignore the voice of the Lord as he calls you to come to him. Now this morning, if you're here and you're saved, uh, there's a time in, uh, when you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You too can get to the place where you refuse to listen to the voice of the Spirit. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 30, where it tells us to grieve not the Spirit. But when you listen to the Lord or refuse to listen to the Lord, and you say no to spiritual things, you lose your sensitivity to Him as well. So we ought to maintain a tender heart toward the Lord. The way to do that is to live close and clean. When He speaks, either in His Word, or maybe that still small voice, We need to do exactly what he tells us to do, without hesitation, without delay. And when we refuse, we cause our hearts to become calloused. You know, a callous is really just scar tissue. Scar tissue is insensitive to feeling. When a heart becomes calloused, it loses sensitivity to the Lord. And we who are saved must never reach the place where we lose our compassion for those who need the Lord. You know, it's easy to become like the Pharisees in our thinking. Far too many Christians get to the place where they're just happy to be saved. Well, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. And they forget that there's a time when they needed the Lord themselves. They forget that there, were multi- there are multitudes around us who need the Savior. And so as believers, we need to be careful to check our hearts. Are we getting calloused to the things of the Lord? Don't develop a calloused heart. So we notice the hard heart of the Pharisee. Secondly, we see the holy heart of the Savior. The holy heart of the Savior stands out in striking contrast to the hard hearts of the Pharisees. Let's see that in action here. Notice his command, verse 3. In verse 3, it says... He saith unto the man which hath the withered hand, Stand forth. Jesus knows what they're up to. He knows that this whole thing is designed to trap him, to ensnare him. But Jesus also knows this man needs to be healed. And Jesus is determined to do the right thing regardless of personal cost. So he tells the man, Stand forth. That's his command. He calls him to come and stand before the whole group of people there. And when he's about, what he's about to do will not be done someplace in secret or in a corner. He wanted everyone present to see the power of God at work. 
And by the way, that's his intention for your life and my life as well. Whether he calls you to come to him today for salvation, or if you're walking with him day by day, he wants to use your life as a display for the glory of God. When the Lord saves someone, he does so for his own glory. He expects that saved person to stand forth, give a testimony to the work of God in their life. And if you're saved this morning, the Lord is determined to use your life for his glory. You see, Christians, believers, are walking advertisements to the power of God to change lives and to make lost people into new creatures for His glory. Those of you that are saved this morning, you know what you were like before you got saved. And your life is now to be a testimony how God can change a life for His glory. He wants you to stand forth. And show the lost world what God can do through Jesus. Notice, secondly, his confrontation. That's in verse 4 here. Jesus confronts the obvious hypocrisy of the Pharisees by asking them two simple, very straightforward questions. He says, is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to save a life or to take a life? One Bible scholar says concerning the mindset of the Jews regarding medical treatment on the Sabbath, he said medical attention could be given only if the life was in danger. To take some examples, a woman in childbirth might be helped on the Sabbath. An infection of the throat might be treated. You know, if a wall fell on someone, enough might be cleared away so you could see if whether he's dead or alive. And if he was alive, then he could be helped. If he was dead, the body must be left there until the next day. See, these were some of the rules that they had. Even if someone broke an arm or a fra- had a fracture of some sort, you couldn't attend to it. You could just put some cold water on it until you could get treatment the next day. Cut finger could be bandaged, but uh, you couldn't use any ointment on it. And so at the most, an injury had to be kept from getting worse, not made better. So here the man Jesus is facing, uh, the man Jesus is facing would have been no worse off if he'd waited till the next day. But that wasn't the Lord's plan, was it? This was an opportunity to address the hypocrisy of their belief system. And I'm also, I also happen to believe that the calling the man to the front of the crowd and asking these questions was an effort to awaken sympathy in the hearts of the Pharisees. He was using the moment to try to touch their hearts. They didn't respond. So we notice his command, his confrontation. But notice his consternation. Verse 5, when they refuse to answer his questions, Jesus becomes angry. The word anger comes from a word that's used to describe sap rising in a tree. It's the idea of anger that builds and builds until it's a a release of emotion. The longer Jesus sat in that service with these hard-hearted Pharisees, the angrier he became. 
It's the only explicit reference to his anger in the Gospels. Now, was it a sinful anger? Well, we'd have to say no, because Jesus had no sin, right? There's nothing wrong with anger as long as you are angry over the right things. In the right amount and in the right way, in the right way. Some righteous anger can, against sin and evil would be, uh, probably helpful in these politically correct anything goes days. Don't you get a little upset about some of the things going on in our country today? What was it that made Jesus so angry? First, he is angry because their hearts are hard. They have continued to refuse to acknowledge the power and the presence of God and that God is offended. Second, he's angry because they have more concern about their man-made rules than they do for a man who needs some help. We're also told that he was grieved here. Notice that word there, grieved. It means to feel pain or sorrow. Their attitude toward their fellow man broke the Savior's heart. Made him angry. It grieved him. And I would venture to say that it still grieves the Lord and makes him angry when people refuse to hear the truth. They refuse to do what's right. I want you to look at your own life right now. Does the Lord have any reason to be grieved with you? Are you turning a deaf ear to the truth? Do you refuse to hear his voice? Have you allowed your heart to become callous toward the things and the needs of others? Does it bother you that people are headed to hell? Do you care that your fellowship with the Lord is not what it ought to be? I think these are some very probing and serious questions, aren't they? He wants to help you, but if he can't, he can't help you until you hear his voice and heed his call. And then notice his compassion. Again, here in verse 5, in spite of their attempt to trap him, Jesus told this man to stretch out his hand, and when he did, it was healed. In spite of his anger at their hypocrisy, Jesus still had compassion on the man with the withered hand. He, Jesus didn't come in this world to get caught up in religious debates about keeping man-made rules. Jesus came to this world to extend compassion to those who needed help. And this poor man could not solve his problem, but Jesus could. You know, Many of us here today were in the same shape. Oh, we didn't have withered hands, but we had a withered heart. We had a withered soul. We were dead toward God. We were spiritually paralyzed. And Jesus moved in compassion and brought life to our souls. I'm so thankful that he loved me when I was unlovable even as a boy. And he was willing to save me by his grace in spite of what I was. Don't let the few religious hypocrites keep you from coming to Jesus. He loves you in spite of what foolish people do and say. And if you come to him, he'll forgive your sins. He'll save your soul. He'll prepare. He's prepared a home in heaven for you. And that's what 
you really would want. And so we have the hard heart of the Pharisees, we have the holy heart of the Savior, and then the hopeful heart of the needy. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says, But Jesus withdrew himself from his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea, and from Jerusalem and from Idomia, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch as they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many had plagues, as had plagues, and an unclean spirits. And when they saw him, they fell down before him and cried, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And we've seen this hard heart of the Pharisees, and we've seen a holy heart of the Savior. But in these remaining verses of our text this morning, we find the hopeful hearts of the multitudes. Jesus had been officially rejected by the religious leaders, and yet the great multitude of people wanted to, to see him and to answer their prayers and the fulfillment of their hopes and their dreams. That's what verse 7 through 9 talks about. Notice what takes place there in verse 10. What they saw in Jesus. The people saw what he had done for others and believed by faith that he could do the same for them. When the Pharisees looked at Jesus, they saw a rebel. They saw a man who was trying to overthrow their position and take away their power. But when the common man looked at Jesus, they saw a healer, a savior. They saw the Messiah. The average man saw all the promises and the plans that God fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. Now notice also what they sought from Jesus. It tells us here in verse 10, they pressed upon him because they wanted to experience his healing power. They wanted his power to be unleashed in their lives. These people were looking for life change, and they saw the potential uh, in this person. And then notice what they said about Jesus. While the religious leaders were plotting, the common man was spreading the word about him. Everywhere across the nation of Israel, people were talking about the man of Galilee. Even the evil spirits were talking about him. And Jesus rebuked the demons for two reasons. Number one, Jesus refused to allow the devil to determine the movements and timing of his ministry. And number two, he did not want to be identified with the evil spirits. And so here is the point. Uneducated, common people, even demons had more sense than the religious leaders of their day. They saw Jesus as a threat. The average person saw Jesus as one offering them hope. And I ask you this morning, what do you need in your life today? Again, I ask you, if you're not here with salvation, do you need salvation? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need a fresh start? Do you need a cleansing from sin? Do you need help in some area of your life? What do you need? 
And what do you see what do you see when you look at Jesus? Do you see a poor fellow who got himself crucified on the cross? Or do you see a man with strange ideas who went about preaching love and doing good? Or do you see a savior? Do you see a man who died for your sins and calls you to come to him for help that you need? Do you see Jesus, the hope and the help of your soul? If you can see and acknowledge that you have needs in your life today, you're in a position to receive help. If you can see that Jesus is ready and able to help you, you're just a prayer away from that very help that you need. You know, the Pharisees could not see their own needs. And so they received no help. They could not understand that Jesus was the Messiah, and and they should have understood that. They were the men that were uh, to be knowledgeable of what the Old Testament said. And they could have realized that here was the Messiah, and he could change their lives if they would only come to him. What about you this morning? Is your heart ready? Have you checked your heart? It was A.W. Tozer who used the story of the governor of a Midwestern state who disguised himself and went into prison for a day to learn about the conditions. And while speaking to a likable young convict, he felt a strong desire to pardon him. And so he said, what, what would you do if the governor were to offer you a pardon? Well, the convict said, the first thing I'd do is cut the throat of the judge who sent me here. Well, the governor was saddened, and he broke off the conversation and left, and that convict stayed in his cell. What was his problem? He'd been convicted, but he'd allowed his heart to become hard. He could not be helped because of a hard heart. So what is the Lord saying to you this morning? Is he calling you to come to Jesus Christ to be saved? If so, then we invite you to come. Do not harden your heart. Is he calling you to repent of some sin and turn back to Jesus? If so, then come and do not harden your heart. If he's calling you to be more like Jesus in your compassion toward the lost or the needy, then come and do not harden your heart. You know, regardless of what he's calling you to do, You can come and do it. Hardening your heart against the call of God, I think, is a very serious matter. You can reach the place where you no longer hear him. Oh, you may come to church. You may may, uh, even read your Bible. You may even say you pray. What happens when we regard iniquity in our hearts? The Lord will not hear us. And we can be as religious as these religious leaders were in Jesus' day, and we can have a hard heart. You can reach a place where he will abandon your, you to your decision. You reach a place where the Lord will allow you to go your way. And so I wonder this morning, is he calling? We need to hear his voice and heed his voice, do whatever he's calling us to do. And do it now. Let's pray. Father in heaven.